This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. It's October, which is Multiplication Month here at Broadcast. And in this podcast episode, we're going to be talking about sending your superstars, what it takes to start a multiplying church planting movement. We've got our first hangout of the month on Thursday, October the 13th, and we'll be talking about how going for big is keeping you small. You can find out more about that hangout at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org and you can get the full notes on this episode at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 48. If I was to ask you what is the biggest obstacle standing in the way of you pioneering a multiplying church planting movement today, what would you say? Many church leaders will nod along as we talk about the power of movements and the need for multiplication. They'll agree with us that the goal shouldn't be just to grow one church, but to start dozens of new churches. And in their hearts, these leaders genuinely want to make it happen. Yet one of the most common responses that we hear when we challenge church leaders to start multiplying is this. My church isn't quite ready for that yet. We'll be able to do that when we have and then you can fill in the blank however you want. Often, it's more, more, pe- more people, people to fill our rotors anyway. And I wouldn't want our main meat to feel depleted. If you were to give me 30 more people, then I'd definitely look to start a new church. Sometimes it's money. We can't fund it. It would put unnecessary pressure on our budget and we can't afford to pay a church planter a salary. If someone was to give us a gift of £50,000 plus gift aid, then it would be a different story. Perhaps it's leaders. We're not sure who'd lead it and who'd be alongside them, helping them to gather people. If we were to get a perfectly crafted leader who's been an elder somewhere else for 10 years, move into the area and want to go church planting, we're right there with them. Whatever fills that blank for you, whether it's people or money or leaders or something else... It all comes down to the same basic assumption. We need to get big before we're able to multiply. The dream that seems to be hardwired into so many church leaders is a dream of creating a big church. Now, the actual numerical size of this big church will vary from one person to the next, but it will inevitably be bigger than your churches at the moment and it will run the whole catalogue of ministries that a big church is supposed to run and it will give the said church leader plenty of opportunity to stand on a stage and to have lots and lots of people listening to what they have to say. Our next hangout on broadcast will be entitled How Going for Big is Keeping You Small and that's exactly what I would suggest is happening with these big church dreams. You see, such dreams can never be fulfilled. However much you're able to add to your church, there will always be the next thing and the next and the next. How much more will it take until you are ready to start multiplying? It's always just a little bit more. The budget is always going to feel stretched. The number of people will never quite feel enough. And you could always make use of more gifted leaders. 
And so, while trying to build this big church dream, you stay on the treadmill of addition-only growth, never starting that movement that could kickstart multiplication growth. Or if you do start it, never treating it in your mind as anything more than a side project. In early 2009, Christchurch Manchester needed to make a decision that would prove to be pivotal in shaping the kind of church that we became. Now, this was actually a couple of years before I moved to Manchester and got involved in the church, but it was such a crucial moment in the history of CCM that I wanted to share it with you. At that point in time, 2009, CCM was still a young church. It had been started two years earlier in a home in East Manchester under the name East Manchester Family Church. The church had grown steadily to around 50 people and had started having public meetings at Hyde Town Hall and along the way had attracted some enthusiastic and gifted people to join in the work. And there in 2009, CCM was well poised to pursue a vision to become a prominent regional church that could draw people from all over East Manchester. There was the capacity to add people to the number. There was the scope to build something that in time would start to resemble this big church dream. Also, the church had um, built up a bit of money in the bank account and there was uh, a cushion of around £20,000 in there, um, kind of as as an extra beyond the operating expenses, which which actually is nothing special. A church of that size would be expected to have at least that amount of money as a buffer in the bank. And yet at this point in time, there was a few things um, that we knew. So we know that the prophetic vision that had started it all had not just been uh, to start a regional church on the east side of the city, but actually uh, to impact all of Greater Manchester by planting 20 churches in and around the city. We also knew that we needed missionaries to do it. East Manchester is a notoriously de-churched area, particularly among young people. So to start new churches, to serve the communities there, we would need to recruit, train and unleash dozens of young people into the area. And we also knew that we were willing to lay aside the idea of having a big regional church in order to see a church planting movement sweep our city. So at this point in the story, there were actually so many reasons that we could have listed that it wasn't the right time to take the leap. We really could have done with a few more people, or at least to keep hold of the ones that we had rather than sending them out. That 20,000 that I mentioned in the bank, that really probably should have been a bit higher. And at the time, we didn't have anyone in the church who was ready to go and plant a new church in student land, which is what we wanted to do. When we talked to the people in the church, I kind of think they nodded along, they were good-hearted and willing to give it a go. Um, But not many actually really got the heart of what it was about. Well, it was about this point in time that there was uh, a young man in Birmingham uh, named Tim who has been woken up in the night with dreams of planting a church among the students of Manchester. So uh, we made a bold decision. We emptied the bank account, that 20000 uh, that I mentioned. We spent it all hiring Tim and paying him his first year's salary. You see, at that point in time, we learned that to get the movement that you want started, it often means giving away something that you really can't afford to do without. So that's what we did. And actually, we're not the only ones who've done that. There's biblical precedent for it. I want to think a bit about the church in Antioch, which we read about in Acts 13. Now, as we pick up the story in Acts 13, it's a few years after the church had been started, and it's now a well-established church in an important city. 
And this church has an all-star leadership team that includes two of their very biggest hitters in the early Christian world, the apostles Barnabas and Saul. And as the leaders of that church gathered to worship and pray, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. He asked them to set apart Barnabas and Saul and to send them out to be travelling missionaries and church planters. Now that's one of those words from God that you really, really don't want to receive, isn't it? Not just sending Barnabas, not just sending Saul, but sending both of them at the same time. Just imagine the potential there was in that Antioch church. That could have grown into something phenomenal in the city. It really could have been the big church that so many of us dream of, leaning on the gifting of these two apostles. Think of the ministries that they could have started. Think of the auditorium that they could have filled. They could have had a real impact on the culture of the city of Antioch. And yet instead, they sent them out. They gave what they couldn't afford to lose. They sent their superstars. And as they did, Antioch became the hub of a global church planting movement. And the centre of gravity in Christianity began to shift away from Jerusalem towards Antioch. God called them to give what they couldn't afford to lose to instigate a church planting movement, just like he did with CCM back in 2009. In Antioch, it was about sending their best people. For us, it was about emptying our bank account. For you, it could be either or both of these things, or it could be something else entirely. Starting a multiplying church planting movement will often mean giving something up that you don't want to lose. And yet, because the objective is so much bigger than just starting one church, you just know that Jesus will take that thing, whatever it is, that you've been willing to give up, and he will multiply it again and again and again, just like he did with the little boy's lunch of bread and fishes as he fed the 5,000. So the question that each of us must come to terms with is this. What would you be willing to give up to start a multiplying church planting movement? Or perhaps, more pertinently, we could ask it this way. What wouldn't you be willing to give up? We hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, you can find full notes on this episode at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 48. And on October the 13th, we've got our hangout on how going for big is keeping you small. You can find out all about that hangout at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. We'd love to see you there.